Hello and welcome to Four on Goal. Thank you for joining us today for yet another Sunday show. We're delighted to be joined today by the esteemed cricket podcaster, James Butler from Cricket Badger. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, James. It's an absolute pleasure. I've been looking forward to it. I don't actually get to talk to many people during lockdown and COVID, so uh, this is my social engagement for the week. Great. It's, it really makes a nice change just to become more social again, you know? <laughs> and we are very much looking forward to talking all things IPL today. I'm also joined, as always, by my three very good friends, Adam, Gary and Nabil. As always, guys, the pleasure is yours. How are you doing? Very well, better speaking to you, my friend, and James. Yeah, fantastic, mate. Looking forward to speaking all things IPL and just getting a general roundup of what's been going on in the world of sport this week. Very good. I'm looking forward to the show. Well, let's go. Now, without further ado, guys, James, please tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, your work and your love for the sport of cricket. Um, well, a cricket badger is a person who is obsessed with cricket, basically. Um, and I run the Cricket Badger podcast. I also work for Yorkshire Cricket for six years as their media manager. I've been a freelance journalist and broadcaster um, in, in cricket and other sports as well, but uh, for the last 10 years or so. And uh, yeah, as you are going to come on to, absolutely obsessed with the IPL and totally immersed in that at the moment. I think that leads uh, a great segue into our IPL discussion, Nabil, our in-house Cricket Badger. <laughs> Thanks very much, Sai. So, James, I wanted to just start off by asking you if you could sort of educate our uninformed listeners on exactly what the IPL is. Well, for a start, I don't think your listeners are uninformed. I think that's very rude. But um, <laughs> the, I, I think the, the IPL is in its 13th year. It was set up, obviously, 13 years ago. Um, and it was around about the same time. If you remember, England and the ECB were going through um, trying to get Alan Stamford's billions from the Caribbean and had all the 2020s played. There's a million dollar match and all this kind of stuff. And Alan Stamford ended up in prison. And whilst that was happening, the IPL took off and has gone from strength to strength and gets the best players in the world playing there. Obviously, usually at a different time of year. Mm. But, um, you know, it's been delayed because of COVID. But it's been played in the UAE this year. And uh, eight teams, eight franchises. And really good entertainment. Some would say it goes on slightly too long. I don't think that's true at the moment because there's precious little other cricket around and it's filling my time. But um, it can it can go on quite a long time. But all eight teams play each other twice, 14 games in the league, and then the top four qualify for the playoffs. Perfect. Yeah, I think sort of as it is towards the back end of the year, it's kind of worked out in a way because there isn't really that much international cricket going on at the moment. Um, so personally, I've found it really useful having games on every day during the afternoon to sort of watch in the background as I'm working. And they're quite nice times for us in the UK, aren't they? The, uh, the games start at three o'clock in the afternoon. And for those of us that kind of work from the sofa, is absolutely ideal. And then on the weekends, they do double headers. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Game that's around about half 11 or something like that. And then another game at three. So it's just absolutely perfect. Definitely. Definitely. So moving on towards this year's edition of the IPR, I wanted to get your thoughts on who your favourite players have been. I mean, in terms of mine, the players that sort of caught my eye, at least batsman-wise, uh, some of them, to name a few actually, um, Shubman Gill has been one of them, um, Sanju Sampson and Treyas Iyer. Um, what are your thoughts on who, who are the batsmen that have been catching your eye? 
I think it's a, it's a terrific tournament. Um, it brings through one of the great advantages for Indian cricket is it brings through youngsters um, who nobody's ever heard of before who suddenly come into their franchise and can make a name for themselves very quickly. And we're seeing a few of those uh, this year. That kind of headline act of the new brigade is Dev Padakal from the Royal Challengers Bangalore, 20 year old who grew up loving Virat Kohli and is now batting with him, which is quite a nice little story. There's a picture on his social media of him when he was a kid um, kind wow. of, um, meeting Virat Kohli, who was just starting out as a player at the time, and now they are batting regularly together for RCB. But if you go through some of the other batsmen in the tournament, I mean, if you, if you ignore the um, the Indian players for a start, um, I mean, Fafa Flesh has done quite nicely so far. Johnny Bairstow always seems to turn up for the IPL. David Warner, yeah, yeah. a bit more hating. <laughs> Johnny Bairstow, kind of uh, bromance lover at the top of the Sunrisers batting order. Um, as you say, Shubman Gill's been a, a real star um, for his uh, team so far. But my, my favourite batsman, or t- I'm going to narrow it down to two, and you'll probably get my leanings a little bit from this. Um, <laughs> Ro- Rohit Sharma. I think he's okay. an absolute class act. I, I love watching him bat when he's in full flow. I don't mm. think there's too many better. Um, and uh, Surya Kumar Yadav is the mm. number three for Mumbai Indians. He has had a bit of a ropey tournament so far. His last game, he scored 70-odd and was the man of the match. So he's just starting to come to life a little bit. Um, but he, he's a, a really a really good player to watch. Different to Sanju Sampson, but they both hit the ball very classily. And the uh, thing about T20 cricket, I think everybody get, kind of gets bogged down with it being fours and sixes in Hoyts over Cal Corner. Cal Corner. Yeah, yeah. But um, there's still room for batsmen to play proper cricket shots, and uh, Surya Kuma Yadav does that. Definitely. Do I take you you're a, uh, a Mumbai Indians fan in that case? I, I, I am, but I, yeah. I do have quite a, a bit of a soft spot for both for Sunrisers and for Delhi Capitals as well. So I'm not really tied down to one team. But Mumbai, if you put a gun to my head, Mumbai will be the team I chose. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, I was watching today's game, actually, and I'm pretty sure Yadav scored a half-century and it was a fantastic innings. And like you mentioned... Absolute class act when he gets going. Absolutely. And Rohit Sharma, what I remember most fondly is last summer's World Cup and he was just unstoppable for India. Scoring three, I think it was three centuries in in that tournament. Um, yes, it's five, wasn't it? In the end, oh, it was five. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's, he's brilliant, and uh, you know he's, he's just starting to make his way into the test side as well. He's kind of been in and out of the test side, always mm. been considered to be a white ball cricketer. But yeah, stick him in any format, and he's uh, he's a fantastic player. Yeah, he's a bit like, it's one of those conundrums, isn't it? Similar to what we have in England with Josh Butler. He's always been considered a white ball specialist. And then since, Ali, I think it was a couple of years ago, when he was having this incredible run in the IPL that uh, the selectors decided they'll put him back into that test match side. And he sort of had a, had his up, ups and downs in that time. But I think this summer that's just gone, we've seen him sort of return to form in that format of the game. You're going to get me onto my hobby horse there that you should never pick a test team off white ball form, and that's what uh, that's what the selectors did with Josh Butler. He scored uh, I think six or eight um, half centuries for Mumbai Indians at the time, and they stuck him into the test team. He yeah. had half a good summer, and then he's basically kept in kept his place in the test team for two years since then. Um, he did very well this summer. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but I think he benefited 
from the fact that they were playing just test match cricket this summer. Mm. Um, yeah, because he, he because of the bubbles, he was just in the five day bubble. Um, so I think the jury's still out with Josh Butler in test cricket. I, I love him, and he's got the same name as me, and it's always nice to see <laughs> Dave Butler on the back of an England shirt. So uh, all power to him. Yeah, I agree. So looking at the bowler bowling side of thing, who who have been the bowlers that have impressed you the most? I think it's going to be interesting this tournament because you've at the start of it we've got quite high scoring cracks and it's certainly in Sharjah um, and some of the pacemen are doing quite nicely. The if you look at the, the top wicket takers in the competition so far, Kahista Rabada, fifteen wickets to his name, um Jasprit Bumrah, Trent Bolt, um Mohammed Shami, you know, you've got some of the real star pacemen of world cricket, but I think mm. as the tournament goes on, it's going to change in dynamic a little bit because they're obviously only playing on three um, grounds in Abu Dhabi, Dubai and Sharjah. And I think as the tournament goes on, the, the pitches will wear a little bit and they will start to take a bit more spin. So my fav- my favourite T20 cricketer is Rashid Khan. Um, he, he's just, I mean, Afghanistan's story coming from nowhere in world cricket to being one of the, you know, almost a seat at the big boys table. Um, is a, a, an incredible rise from rags to riches. And Rashid Khan and um, his teammate Mohammed Nabi have been two of the guys from mm. Afghanistan that have benefited from T20 franchise cricket and they've made a bit of money for themselves. And the Ra- Rashid Khan is the best white ball spinner in the world. And I think as the tournament goes on, he's going to be uh, increasingly dangerous. Teams tend to try and defend him a little bit these days and play him out and then try and attack the other bowlers from the Sunrisers attack but Rashid Khan is uh, mesmeric when he gets going he can just land it on a dime and can do all kinds of magic with it yeah it's always good to see a leg spinner sort of come in come into prominence early on in their careers and sort of take take storm um and I feel like in T20 they are very very uh special to have in your team um, there's yeah, when, generally when, when um, T20 first started out, everybody assumed that spin bowling would be smashed all over the place, and it'd be the fast bowlers that benefited. And it's been uh, it's been far from that. If you look at the ICC World T20 rankings in bowling, well, last time I looked, which wasn't that long ago, I think eight of the top ten were spin bowlers, and the majority of those were were leg spinners. And it's just you know, if you can turn the ball both ways, be fairly accurate. Um, batsmen are going to try and hit you, and uh, as a result of that, you're going to take wickets. Definitely, definitely. So, looking at my own sort of selections, I've actually gone with Rashid Khan as well as one of my favourite bowlers yeah. for this edition. I've also gone with Kahiso Rabad and Anrik uh, Nokia, who I think yeah. have both done really well in tandem for the Delhi Capitals. Um, and I've also gone with Mohamed Shami. I think he's he's come on leaps and bounds for India over the last few years, and he's obviously one of their best bowlers in the test match format. Um, but even in the limited overs, I remember last summer at the World Cup, he took a, a quite a, few, a number of wickets. Um, so those would be my sort of picks. Any sort of fast bowlers that have stood out for you, James? Well, I wouldn't disagree with any of the guys you've mentioned. Um, I think there's uh, definitely don't mention Joffre Archer, who yeah. has been really good in this tournament. He's playing for the Rajasthan Royals, who haven't had the best of times they won today, but they've lost the previous four. But it was no fault of Joffre's. He's taken nine wickets in the tournament and uh, has bowled really quickly. You know, there's the obsession with pace mm. when it comes to Joffre in England, in an England shirt. But I 
think with the with the pressure off and the freedom just to go out there and bowl four overs as fast as he likes, he's, it's right up his street. And he's been a real threat. We, you know, Keisa Rabada is running away in the race for the purple cap. They give a, a different coloured cap to the top batsman and top bowler in the tournament. The uh, top batsman gets an orange cap and the top bowler gets a purple cap at the end of the tournament. So they wear it all the way through. It's a bit like the yellow jersey in the Tour de France. Uh, at the moment, if you watch uh, Delhi Capitals, Kahisa Rabada is wearing the, uh, the purple cap and uh, KL Rahul of the uh, Kings Eleven Punjab is wearing an orange cap. And that's why, because they're the, the two guys that are leading those races. But um, Joffa's not too far behind him. And if he can continue to bowl like he is doing, there's no reason why he can't take a few more wickets. But as I say, I think we'll, we'll see a few of the spinners coming through. Rashid Khan's mm. already right up there. But Ravi Bishnoi has uh, been impressive um, for the Kings Eleven. He's another young yeah. Indian. Um, uh, Ravi Ashwin, obviously a, a seasoned campaigner for India. Akshay Patel for the Delhi Capitals. There's, just, there's a whole host of uh, really talented spin bowlers in this tournament. It's going to be interesting to see how they get on over the next few weeks. Yeah. Touching on Jofra, like you mentioned, why do you think sort of, I don't know about you, but in terms of my opinions, I find Owen Morgan seems to know how to use him a lot better than Joe Root does in the test match side. Do you have sort of any opinions on why that is? I think there's a, a difference in playing test match cricket to playing one day cricket, obviously, because it goes over five days. And, and therefore, you, you can bowl longer spells you can potentially bowl 30 overs in a day if it's a long day in the field. And you then have to, as a fast bowler, you have to try and manage your body to go through those those overs and to come back for a second and third spell. Whereas obviously in white ball cricket, you know that your limit is in one day internationals, you can only bowl 10 overs in T20, you can only bowl a maximum of four. So you have that at the back of your head as a fast bowler, I think, that you, you're only going to be used at a certain time, you probably have team meetings, you know roughly when you're going to be bowling in a, in a match and you can get yourself ready for that. Whereas I think Joe Root's issue with Joffrey is that he obviously wants him to bowl fast, but he's only got a certain amount of bowlers. And I think Joffrey's task is, or, or the criticism of Joffrey Archer, he has to kind of manage his body through a, I don't know, a six over spell first thing, then come back before lunch, then come back in the afternoon, and by the time he's finished, he's uh, knackered, <laughs> effectively. Yeah. And, uh, he, he might not. He might just look as if he lollops in and, uh, and and turns his arm over and bowls it at ninety miles an hour. But there's a lot of effort goes into it, and I think it's uh, probably learning how to work together for Joe Root and Joffrey Archer. I think for Owen Morgan, it's a lot easier. He just throws the ball to him twice in a game, and that's it. But for Joe Root, he's got to try and understand Joffrey, and Joffrey's got to try and understand Joe Root a little bit more than they are doing. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think in his role in limited overs is a lot more well-defined. Um, I find with Joffre in Test Match Cricket, he it takes him a while to get going. Sometimes, like there was numerous occasions last summer in the Ashes where straight from the first spell, you could see he was working up towards top top speed. And then other times, sort of this summer, he's been told, bang it in short and bowl high pace. Or other times it was, okay, you're going to be our, a 20-over-a-day bowler we need you to sort of keep it on a good length and bowl about mid mid 80s pace. So I think it's just a case, like you mentioned, it's a, it's a two way street when it comes to that sort of stuff. I, I think as well, it's uh, it's like all of us. You know, some days you get out of bed and everything clicks and you feel full of the joys of spring as you're having your wheat of it in the morning. Other days, it's a bit more of a struggle, isn't it? And I think it's the same with fast bowlers. It doesn't always click. And 
you know, Joffre always looks like he... The problem with somebody like Joffre Archie is the same with David Gower back in the day in, in batting. Because mm. they, they look quite lazy and it's very easy on the eye. When it's not working, it looks like they are lazy. And that's not the case. He's always trying his best, but sometimes it's just not quite in sync and therefore the speed gun goes down a little bit. And that, I think that's all it is. And I think we need to... In this country, with players like Joffrey Archer, just embrace the fact we've got a really good talent rather than try and put holes in him all the time and expect him to bowl at 96 miles an hour every ball in a yeah. match. Agreed, agreed. Um, so I wanted to get your thoughts on who who have been your sort of favourite teams to watch um, for this tournament. I know you mentioned earlier that you're, you've got a soft spot for Mumbai Indian Sunrisers and Delhi. Is anyone, are those, would you say those te- are teams that have are sort of been your favourites to watch? I think there's, there's two ways of answering that. I think that the three teams I think that have looked the best teams in the competition so far are Mumbai, Delhi and Royal Challengers Bangalore. Um, Virat Kohli, for a change, has got Royal Challengers Bangalore actually looking pretty decent this time around. Yeah, yeah. Never won the never won the competition. It's a it's a big hole in Virat's CV. And it's quite a glowing CV that Virat Kohli's got going for him, and it's a a title and a trophy that he'd very much like on his mantelpiece. And I don't know whether, whether it's the nappy factor that he's expecting a baby or his lovely wife is, and um, he maybe feels a bit more relaxed about life. But he just seems to have that. He doesn't quite seem to be as heart on his sleeve and as um, you know, 100 miles an hour as he as he has been in previous years, and mm. maybe that uh, that relaxed nature is helping him captain and helping him get more out of the side and um, more out of his game. But I think yeah, Mumbai, Delhi, and RCB will be in the playoffs if everything carries on as it is. I think the the most fun team to watch is Kings Eleven. Yeah, they played, played seven, only won one, <laughs> and should have won at least three more. Um, because they were the team that got chased down. They got Tuakiyed in uh, Sharjah um, when Rahul yeah. Tuakiyed his uh, pyrotechnics towards the end of the game to steal the biggest run chase in IPL history. Kings Eleven should have won that one. They should have won their opening game. It went to a super over against uh, RCB. And yeah. um, if you remember, they, they, Chris Jordan was called for one short. So effectively, that means, you know, when you run, run between the wickets. Yeah, yeah. Should, the run you're supposed to flip your bat over the line and then come back. The umpire at square leg pulled in one short, but the replay showed his bat had actually gone across the line. So they were denied a run there, a legitimate run there. And the game went into a super over because the, the scores were tied. And then they lost the super over. So they were absolutely robbed um, of the points in that game. And um, just the other day, was it Saturday? They, um, they played um, a game against KKR. KKR were absolutely down and out. Kings 11 were charging towards victory. Four overs out. You wouldn't have hardly got a price on, um, on Kolkata Knight Riders to win that game. And somehow, Kings 11 managed to throw the points away and uh, fell short in the chase. And the, the one thing that I love about tournament T20 cricket, mm. and it's the same in the Blast or the Big Bash or any of the, any of the tournaments around the world, is that if you get some, uh, it's a kind of buzzword in sport, but momentum, Mm. It means confidence. It means things going for you. It means that if you get into 50-50 battles, you tend to come out on top because you've got used to winning. Um, that tends to go in a T20 tournament very much so. You know, KKR getting those points off Kings Eleven the other day will now take into their next game a whole heap of confidence because they are winning games that they probably shouldn't do. 
Kings eleven are, are losing games they should be winning, and it makes it fascinating. And the one, the probably the best. I mean, there've been very few games this tournament so far that haven't gone all the way through to the end of the end of the map. You know, there've been very few really convincing victories, and mm. um, one of the things I think has been really prevalent in the IPL this time has been no team is ever over the line. Um, yeah, you, you can look five overs out and you think, oh, it's up, they're absolutely sailing towards the chase. And then 10 balls later, the whole dynamic of the match has changed. And that makes it fascinating, I think, sometimes as, uh, as, a, as a pundit and as a, somebody sort of commentating and podcasting on the IPL this year. It's, uh, you know, the, the dynamics of matches fluctuate. And, you know, one of the criticisms of T20 sometimes has been that it can be a little bit bite-sized. It can be a bit one-dimensional, one team goes out and scores 250 balls, the other team out for 100, and it can be quite one-sided. But this IPL is not turning out like that, whether that's the pitches or whether it's the attitude of the players or whether just the standard of the eight franchises is actually a little bit more consistent across the board. I don't know, but it's a, it's a really fascinating competition so far. And even as we stand at the moment, I mean, Kings 11, they're going to struggle to qualify for the playoffs. But any of the other seven, you can make a case for them to still win the competition, and that makes it a fascinating tournament. I mean, even CSK, Chennai, have, in their um, ten previous years, they were denied playing for two years because of a match match fixing situation. But in ten previous sure. seasons, they have never missed the playoffs, mm. and they are currently seventh after winning just two of their first seven games. So, MS Dhoni, <coughs> excuse me, MS Dhoni, one of the legends of of Indian cricket has got a real cast in his hands hand to captain that side back into contention because at the moment they're slipping through the trap door and Chennai are up there with Mumbai as being probably the two most followed sides in the tournament. So there's going to be a lot of people in Chennai, heads in hands at the moment, crying into their IPL picture lists. Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of surprised why Chennai haven't really been doing that well this uh, this tournament. You'd like you mentioned, they've been so consistent at getting to the playoffs uh, for the last few, well, since its inception. Um, do you think it's something to do with the fact that it's quite it's an aging side, and they sort of haven't, with similar to sort of how the other teams, they've they've all had their sort of crop of legends that have played, um, and then they've sort of got past that and started bringing through more youngsters. Do you think it, it has something to do with that? Um, definitely, they they call them Dad's Army. Because they are the <laughs> oldest squad in the uh, in the competition, and um, by some margin, I think actually. And the the likes of Shane Watson, for example, the opener, mm. he he doesn't play a lot of cricket now. IPL is is his kind of cricket for the year almost, and um, it, you know he's obviously getting on a bit. So is you know, so are M. S. Dhoni's forty, I think, during this competition. Yeah, um, and yeah, the body starts to creep a little bit. Um, it's not necessarily a young man's game because you can still use your head and you can still you know, be uh, competitive as, a, as an older individual in T20. But yeah, they, they just seem to have got the balance age-wise a little bit wrong and um, are paying the price at the moment. I mean, the thing about the IPL is there's a, a massive auction. Um, and I think Chennai are currently in the third year of the three, their three-year cycle. So three years ago, when they first picked this squad, Playing Chennai, this squad was brilliant. Yeah, three yeah. years later, when they're playing on foreign surfaces with an aging squad, it's not looking quite so clever. So uh, Chennai are going to struggle, I think. I think uh, it may 
they may break their 100% record of making the playoffs this time because it's not looking too too good for them. Yeah, not too good at all. Um, just speaking on the subject of teams, who would who who's your pick to win the tournament this year then? I, it's, like I say, it's really tough to call. Um, you've got Mumbai with a really balanced squad, loads and loads of really good players. They you know, they've won it four times before. They're the defending champions. There's an interesting fact though about Mumbai is that they've won it in 2019, 2017, 2015, and 2013. And then in the even years in between, they've been no higher than fourth. Yeah. They've never backed up their success. At the moment, they're top of the table and they're playing really good cricket. So this might be, you know, we're, this thing, CSK may be um, losing their really good record. Mumbai might be ridding themselves of that bad record and uh, actually defending the trophy. But their biggest threats this time, Delhi Capitals, who they've beaten today, but it was a very close game. Look a really good balanced team as well. If they can keep Rabada and Norky fit, then they're going to be a threat all the way through. RCB may get their hands on the trophy for the first time ever, and even Sunrisers and Rajasthan, who've got the you know the majority of the, the English players out there, um, if they can get a good run over the next seven games, they can get themselves into the playoffs. And once you get into the playoffs, I mean the league the league table only matters because if you finish in the top two. You go into the, uh, the first final, and then the winner of that goes into the main final. The loser of that gets a second bite at the cherry, and they play the winners of third and fourth. So it's important to finish in the top two if you can. But the top four, if you qualify for the playoffs, effectively you start again. And if you can then get two or three good games together, you can win the IPL. So creeping into fourth place isn't the worst thing in the world. No, definitely not. I'd say in terms of my sort of pick in uh for who who's gonna win it this year i can't yeah like you mentioned i can't see really past two teams at the moment uh mumbai in terms of the whole balance of their side i think they're probably a uh, best place to defend their title let's not forget that um and then my dark horse in previous years i, I would have said uh sunrisers but i think maybe rcb this year I just think if Virat gets going, like uh, there was a few years ago when Virat was just scoring hundred after hundred, and they got yeah. all the way to the final. I don't know if you remember, and they they come and they came up against Sunrisers, and they just lost out on that. And I was thinking that's such a missed opportunity for them uh, because that was almost sort of a once in a generation type tournament, really, for Virat Kohli. He was think, absolutely unplayable. I think with RCB, they've been guilty in the past of having three or four stars and maybe not playing as a team. So you looked at the squad and you thought they've got Chris Gale, they've got Virat Kohli, they've got A.B. de Villiers, and you forgot the fact that maybe the other eight weren't quite as good. Whereas this time, they have got the star still. They've got Aaron Finch, they've got Deb Paddockville, who's the young star, they've got Virat Kohli and A.B. de Villiers. But they've got some really good players further down the list as well and some good home ground talent that's coming in and making a difference for them. So I agree. I mean, they, they always started as favourites and even though they'd never won it. And that always was because they had the, some of the big box office players. But they've still got some of those, but they've got a very well-rounded team there at the moment. And uh, it's going to be interesting, I think, because uh, they do have a real chance this time. I think I'd narrow it down to three. I think it's between Mumbai, Delhi and RCB. And uh, it could be any of those three. It depends on who can... It, yeah, you, don't, you don't win tournaments at the start of them. You win tournaments by how you play at the end. And it's who finishes the strongest or win this IPL out of those three. Exactly, that's that age-old adage that it's a marathon, not a sprint. Exactly. 
Um, what was what's been your favourite moment of this IPL then? Oh, um, favourite moment. I think well, generally speaking, the fact that it actually got played in the end. Um, yeah, yeah, that's good always a good one. <laughs> I've done all my previews for the tournament starting in March and uh, have had to put them in the fridge for eight months or whatever it's ever ever it's been. And whilst we've been in lockdown and various things, and you know, in the same way that England getting all of their matches played this summer, um, the BCCI to get this event actually played in the UAE and to get all the players from different parts of the world across there and get them in a the bubble and to have had no COVID issues at all is a major, major achievement. So uh, hats off to them. And uh, we, yeah, fantastic it's being played. It's uh, filling my time anyway, watching the games every day. Um, I think in terms of favourite moment of the actual IPL itself, that's a really tough question. Um, they're at Coles 90. I mm. think the right up there. He made an unbeaten 90 on Saturday, I think it was. Um, yeah. Threw his team up to a, a total that they were, they were able to defend in the end. And it was just, I mean, he, he is the best batsman in the world across all three formats. Agreed, yeah. Um, there may be batsmen in T20 cricket that can boast slightly more um, sixes and, and various things. But I think if RCB get a very consistent Coley going, as you said just a few years ago, he, he was, um, <coughs> you know, ruling the roost and he's the leading scorer in the IPL um, in the history of the competition. But that 90 that he made the other day was just a, a real exhibition of how to manage yourself through an innings in T20. You don't have to necessarily go full throttle to start with. You can play a defensive shot and play into the gap and get a one and make sure you don't get many dot balls initially. And then he just opened his shoulders towards the end and played some of the most glorious shots that you, you, you know, you, you're going to see in this IPL. There was one shot that he played where he advanced a couple of steps down the track. The ball was on his off stump and he managed to hit it through square leg for four. Um, yeah. Right. And it was just a, a shot that very, very few people could play back. I remember Ken Dalton playing something similar and it, yeah, he's in the same bracket as uh, as uh, Satsun Tendulkar. Um, absolute fantastic player to watch, and uh, yeah, hopefully he continues. Yeah, yeah, it was a fantastic innings. I remember watching it. Was yeah, like you mentioned, such a incredible switching of gears towards the end of that innings. In terms of my um, moment of the tournament, I've actually gone with a bit of fielding brilliance. So. Nicholas Puran's uh, incredible bit of fielding to stop the ball going for um, for six against Rajasthan Royals. Not, do, you, uh, do you remember that one? I do indeed. I had a bit of rant about that on my podcast because he, <laughs> um, it was a brilliant piece of fielding. Don't get me wrong. Um, I will start this off with all the good things. It was athletic. It was um, awareness. It was a fantastic catch. He was, for those that haven't seen it, he was basically... He was outside of the ropes when he caught the ball, diving full length and had the presence of mind to throw the ball back inside the ropes so it didn't go for six. Um, and you won't see many better than that. But I I think once your whole body is outside of the playing area, it mm. should be a six, really. Um, you're going you're gonna to get people wearing strings on the feet and catching the ball in row Z of the stands and throwing it back for too long. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the batsman, it's a batsman's game and Fielders need to be rewarded for their athleticism, but there comes a comes a time where if your whole body has dived outside of the, the playing area, surely the batsman should get a six for that. Yeah, 
Yeah, so it's a, it's a controversial point, that one. Um, but we it's not the first time we've sort of seen these types of bit of filled-in brilliances. I'm probably a bit older than you, and I can remember um, the likes of Botham and Gatting and, um, you know, roaming around with a bit of a tubby belly, um, putting the foot on the ball. And, uh, you know, one-day cricket in those days was a little bit more steady than it is these days. The athleticism and the relay catches you see on the boundary edge and the presence of mind and knowing you're going to go across the ropes and throwing the ball up and then bouncing back in to catch it and things like that is, is something that's really only come in in the last decade. Uh, and they're just getting better and better at it. I mean, that, that forum thing, for all of my complaints about it, um, it's, it was incredible, wasn't it? It was just amazing fielding. It's something that I would never be able to do. And the fact that he, he was able to do that and to throw the ball back in play before he landed was just astonishing. I think that just about wraps up this half of the show. Yeah. James, thank you so much for coming on. It's been great to have someone as knowledgeable as yourself uh, come on the show as our first guest, by the way, and talk about the sport of cricket. And the Bill doesn't get to talk cricket much, so he's <laughs> really enjoyed this, as have we all. Uh, absolute pleasure, and I uh, wish you all the best with your podcast. And uh, if you ever need a cricket um, badger on again, then just give me a call. Oh, thank you very much. Whereabouts can, can people find you online, James? Um, you can follow me on Twitter, at cricket underscore badger. Um, and if you want to listen to the podcast, we're doing a daily one on the IPL at the moment, which uh, I'm doing with fans from around the world. Um, but we do others as well. We've had uh, some of the biggest names in cricket on the podcast over the last couple of years. Just celebrated its 200th edition for Cricket Badger Podcast. And uh, you can go on all major platforms, just put in Cricket Badger Podcast and uh, my little badger face will pop, pop up. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm actually not a real badger. I'm a human person. So the, uh, the logo is a badger. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, James. No problem at all. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks very much, James. Yeah. Cheers, James. Thank you very much, mate. Yes, thank you. Bye bye. And without further ado, we're going to dive into the next segment of the show, which is Sports Roundup. Sports Roundup. Let's kick things off with the football. Now, there were no Premier League games this weekend, but there was Premier League news, which I'm sure we all want to talk about here this will be covered on our thursday night show but we have to mention it now because this is big news guys the premier league will be charging 14.99 per non-televised game it's not like we pay enough already is it not like we pay enough for sky for bt for whatever channel do we pay for pretty much every subscription possible just another it's just another one oh amazon's going to be chipping in there soon isn't it so soon you'll be paying about 100 pound to possibly watch every single premier league game it's just ridiculous how much more money do we have to pay that's how just... silly! How silly do these companies think that we are? I mean, even like a non-sporting um, point here, companies like Disney Plus charging thirty pound to to watch a single movie. How... It's just insane! It's crazy how people have adapted to this kind of lockdown period by introducing these huge prices to try and compensate for what they're losing. You know, by live un- attendance. Things I could understand a little bit is that, but you'd probably pay more to actually go and watch your football team play, but. Mm-hmm. you're not getting all the excitement of going to the match and all the, the stuff at the ground you're literally just sat in your chair you'll watch the match and there's a good chance probably afterwards you'll just switch off especially if you're only paying 14 pound 15 pound story just for that match itself you don't get the whole day's you know 24 hour pass like you do on mm-hmm. now tv and that's only 10 pound but it's just it's just crazy and as long as people are going to be paying it they're just going to keep doing it but i don't know who in their pr department decided it was a great idea to advertise that it's just 
you know, I, I could sit here now, I'm not going to, but I could name three different streaming services that are legal to watch these matches and you can watch every single match you want. It's just insane, really. It just, I, I, I'm not going to be paying it. I, I already pay for Now TV and we, um, I get plenty of games on there. So I don't quite know what games are going to be put on this pay-per-view service that we don't already see. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what what's going to happen is they're going to basically put one of the bigger games on for this pay per view service to sort of entice fans in. I'm with you guys on the same, but I think it's an absolute oh, disgrace. Yeah, I'm just, but I'm like, pay fifteen pound to watch like what Liverpool United play. Sure, it's a big game. I'm not going to pay fifteen quid to watch that if it's not my own team. I know some people will, but I mean, yeah, over in the states, you can pay a hundred dollars or so just to watch the whole season of the NFL, every single game. Mm. Now that would be. Something like that would be such a better solution. I know it probably won't happen, but you, you can pick and choose which sport you want. And overall, you save so much more money because you get access to every single game. I know it's different with who owns rights to certain things. And the yeah. NFL has a lot more power in terms of what the Premier League does. So but... I was going to say, I know someone, um, I say I know someone, I'm, I'm part of a, a West Ham group. And one of the guys lives in Finland. He pays €29 Euros and he gets the Premier League, FA Cup, League Cup, Champions League and the Scottish and German and French leagues as well. All for wow. twenty nine euros. We're just crazy. being mugged off in England. They're just milking us. The, for, the foreign the foreign countries don't pay pay what we do. I, I just don't mm-hmm. know why we have to pay so much to watch them play. It's just turned into a um, just a money milking service. I mean, there was other news today. We won't discuss it too much. But the way the league's going, you know, the big clubs want the power. It's just turned into some kind of you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what word to describe it. It's just it's all going towards as much money can be made as possible as milk people as much as they can. And I almost hope people don't pay this just to show them that this is a terrible idea. I kind of feel really passionate about that. No doubt. Mm. Mm. I wonder I how just, much... You can go on the bill, sorry. Yeah, I, I just think it's greedy, if I'm being honest with you. I think it's just taking advantage of people, especially at a time like this when like we've all have gone through the same struggles and the Premier League decides that, you know what, let's let's rinse... Let's rinse these fans. It's just out another of market to them. It's just another market. You know, if someone's mm. seen an opportunity, thinking right, everyone's at home, they can't go out. What can we do? There's going to be a whole winter period where there's potentially be another lockdown. People can't go out. What can I do to make money out of that? You know, I'm going to start charging more money to watch the games. And I mean, it's just another opportunity. It's just greed, and you know, it's not even just this pay per view service, but it's just greed and um, just the, the desire to make more cash as much as possible for all these people. And it's just it's sickening, really, the way the Premier League's gone. And it's not even just that. It's just, you know, it's, it's turning into this another big money-making service for the for these billionaires that already have billions. I mean, and then you can just, just, you can just go watch the game illegally online. That's what I do after the time. I shouldn't say it probably, probably on air, but it's just, they've probably, they probably realised how much money they're missing to all these people going to watch these illegal streaming services. And they probably think, right, we need to make some cash here some way. But I mean, some of the streams you can get not even, they're quite a good definition, really. So, Gary, you saw the news about the pay-per-view. What are your thoughts on this? Well, you know, you already pay about 90 quid a month if you've got BT Sport and Sky. So then you're potentially also paying, having to pay for another six games if you want to watch all 10 games in a weekend or midweek fixture list. So you're paying up to around about 180 quid a match day weekend. Which, you know, if you want to do that for every match day weekend in a month, you're probably going to have to spend half your wages if you're on basic salary yeah. like the majority of the country are. You know, we're seeing unemployment increase at the moment. Yeah, and Sky and BT have sort of gone, right, what can we do? We've got our existing customers to go 
and pay for a box office, which isn't really worth it. You know, they're going to put Burnley versus Crystal Palace on it, and it's making you pay fifteen quid. You know, to watch a nil-nil game, which has about one shot on target, it's not worth it. Um, I I personally think. Because I understand, obviously, the clubs are missing money at the moment with COVID. They need to somehow make it back. But the best way, I think, is by launching like a Premier League service where all the non-televised games are put onto this streaming service that you pay £20, £30 a month for. Mm-hmm. And you get to watch every game that's not on live TV. I was say, it, it literally is just another market. As Gary said, they just found another way to make more money offers. And you could argue, though, that... You're not going to pay 15 quid if it's not your team. So I suppose you don't have to pay that money. But if you're like a football addict or a massive football fan, you're going to want to watch every single game you possibly can. And they're, they're, just, they're just pricing people. You've got to remember as well, a lot of people aren't going out at the moment. Yeah, so you should be, yeah, there should be some incentive. You say, look, stay at home. We'll give you some cheap alternatives to watch or something to do while you, if you can't go out. Um, instead of doing that, they've gone, right, everyone's going to be at home. Boom, there's another opportunity for me here to. Know, charge people sat is sat in their sofas. Another way I can make more money off people not being able to go out because you can't go down the pub and watch the game. So awesome, mm. we can charge people to sit at home and watch the sports. It's just, it's just ridiculous, really, and it's just the way the Premier League is going. We've seen it for years. You know, they've tried to shift games around yeah. to get as many viewerships as possible. It's it's getting worse, and you know, they had to change the Premier League rules, didn't they? So the team, um, I can't remember what it was, but you can't have games. Um, that aren't at three o'clock live on TV or something like that. Oh, so you could, the three o'clock games couldn't be on TV, but they've changed yeah. the rules, haven't they, to allow yeah, that yeah. to happen? Mm. It's just they're just finding ways now to bend the rules Black and just to make more yeah. money. It's just it's just totally, that's the way football's going. Yeah. Back to a point Adam made earlier as well about over in foreign countries being able to watch. There's a lot of countries that are allowed to watch the three o'clock games. Um. I'm pretty sure it's actually a government rule that stopped us from being able to yeah, broadcast. Yeah, it, is, changed, it? it wasn't like a Premier League rule, it was a government rule. Yeah. Whereas obviously in other countries, they don't have that. So they pay for their subscription to whatever their Sky equivalent is. And they actually get three o'clock games as well. So we, we're paying more money a month for our subscriptions, in which we've got already got two of them, and then potentially Amazon, like Adam said. Whereas over in, say, America, you pay less money for one subscription and you get more games. I don't remember England being fucking charged for. Like, we're now being charged to watch our international team play. Every single competition you can charge for, they're doing it. It's just ridiculous. They're going to start charging for the... I think they already do. They already start charging for the League Cup, which no one gives a shit about. Then the FA mm. Cup as well. Like you get a few games. I understand the charge and know for the England games in the Nations League. Maybe yeah, but come on, it's, it's, have it's, it's, it's the, a national uh, team. The rights to the Nations League, so it's not so much. Yeah, yeah come not on, being able no. to show it on three games. It's the fact Sky have complete rights over the. And Nations that's what League. the fucking point is. Sky have got the rights for it, so they can charge you for it. And it's ridiculous. You can't even watch your international team for free. And that's supposed to. I bet other countries don't do that. So, yeah, I'll wrap up on my point there before I get too annoyed. It's absolutely criminal, and you can hear the passion in all of our voices here. This is, unfortunately, it really affects our love of the game. Just hearing this news, it's it's just like it's a kick in the balls, basically, to a lot of fourteen ninety nine as well. Shocking! It's pretty much the price of a non league ticket. You can get a day pass for for now TV for so many things yeah. for much cheaper than that. So we'll, go down we'll, to Weatherspoons have a sit down meal and three points for that price. Exactly, you get a three course meal at Weatherspoons for that. Exactly, um, and we we will touch on this more on Prem Focus on Thursday. So be sure to tune in and. You know, here's some more takes about this, but there were some international games over the weekend. If you I know England, it. yeah, I know England won two one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're paying to watch it, England won two one. Uh, any other key results that stood out to you guys? Anything exciting? 
Um, so from my perspective, Erling Haaland scored a hat-trick for Norway. Um, his trajectory just seems to continue on an Absolute upward curve. Of a forward. Yeah, and one of the goals he scored, he just generated so much power from like only yeah only a short distance out from the pitch. But yeah, I think he's going to be the next big sort of thing along with Kylian Mbappe. It's like the guy was built in a factory. There's so many good physical attributes. Yeah, to I'd love to see him in the Premier League just destroying Harry Maguire. <laughs> That's not very <laughs> hard, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, many people would destroy Harry Maguire. <laughs> I think one of the key matchups this weekend as well has been France versus Portugal. Yeah. Which is currently ongoing whilst we're recording. Now, it's nil-nil, and obviously it's a repeat of the final a few years ago. Mm. And um, both teams are obviously going to be going for the Euros next year and have a very good chance. Um, but yeah, like there's just so much talent in that French squad, and I fully expect them to win the Euros next year because I don't think there's even a country that comes close. You know, the fact that Belgium lost to England today, <laughs> and like we've all kind of lost hope in England again over the last month or two mm. with like the very dull, boring we've been playing. Uh, three fullbacks but, there as well for England. Three fullbacks. Yeah, exactly. Three fullbacks, numerous defensive players. Such a weird shape. Yeah. And we still won. Um... What's quite exciting for the Portugal team is that they've got actually have some youngsters coming through now. You know, Jao Felix, um, Ruben Diaz, a couple of youngster players. So they, had, they had an ageing squad a few years ago. It's good to see they managed to bleed in some youngsters and they're starting to maybe, you know, push for uh, some international um, wins again, really. Who would be your guys' favourites for the upcoming Euros? Has to be France. Yeah, definitely. They've just got such a balanced squad full of world-class players. Nobody else even has that squad. You look at Spain... And say Germany, they've got world-class players in that squad, but they've also got some very average players that you know you wouldn't want in a Premier League side. Um, like look at Spain's squad for example. Oh mate, Rodrigo. it's so bad, isn't it? Yeah, like there's, there's not anybody in there really. You know, you look at the squad from 2012 mm. when they won back-to-back Euros and the World Cup in between. Yeah, and then you look at the team that beat Switzerland yesterday. Yeah, and you know, they've got Jesus Navas at right back. He's 34 years old. Crazy, isn't it? Um, obviously, they've got Fatty in there now, and he's already scored on the international stage, and he looks like he's going to be one hell of a player if he continues the way he's going. It's not the yeah, Spanish team of a few years it, ago, is it? No, like, there's just very few world-class outstanding players there. Even David De Gea now, like, mm. there's a lot of doubts over so him. So would you say France is the biggest international team at the moment? Then does no one come near their level? Um... So I would actually say Germany. That's my pick for winning the Euros next summer. I think the if you look at that attacking front line that they they should have, which will be Serge Gnabry, Leo Rossani and Timo Werner, that's a pretty, pretty that's far crazy. front line. Yeah. And then look at their midfield, like Joshua Kimmich, um, the Bayern Munich midfielder. I think he's he's incredible. I think he's one of the best midfielders in the world. And Serge Gnabry was... in there as well, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. And then even at the back, Manuel Neuer is still going strong. Um, yeah, so I think they've got a, a lovely balance of youth and experience. So I think they'll definitely be one of the contenders. Like you guys, I do agree that France will also be up there. Um, but if I was going to pick between those two, I, I'm i just tempted to go towards Germany, personally. We're we de- we definitely going to rule England out of a chance. To, uh, I think Germany's centre-backs are just too weak at the moment. Yeah. And there's not really any real leaders or... People are going to stand up when they're up against Mbappe. Yeah. Um, at the tournament, so I just can't see 
Like, I think they'll go far, but I can't see them winning it. Mm. We're going to rule England out. And as for England, absolutely no chance. No. They'll get out of the groups and <laughs> probably lose in the first round against like Portugal or someone. Mm. Sorry, Adam, you want to say something? No, I was going to say I was just going to say about England. I mean, when you've got a back line of Arnold, Walker, Maguire, Dyer and Trippier, I mean, geez, like, where's yeah. your hope? Yeah, I'm ruling England. Not exactly the fast paced centre back. I mean, Eric Dyer, why is he be playing as a centre back? The guy's got pace of a like, turning dump truck. It's so, not a deserved win for England today, then? No, well. Yeah. No. <laughs> Happy they won, but I mean, it's. I thought Belgium were the better team. Belgium were, yeah. And I think this is why we're ruling. Like, obviously, Belgium are world number ones as well. Mm. And we haven't even mentioned them as being contenders for next year. And I think the fact that they lost to England. When England have such a poor line out, out just show, goes to show they're not ready to win anything, mm. and yet they've got such good players. Yeah, um, they've got Tillman, Parker, and De Bruyne, haven't they? They've got some good, some yeah. good players in there. Tillman isn't this is just getting me real. He's Premier League experience now, you know. He's, he can do he's just as good as anyone in their squad. I mean, they've got De Bruyne as well and Lukaku. Lukaku's scoring loads of goals in the um, Italian league. Don't forget Hazard, Eden Hazard, Zeller. yeah, Mr. Fat Bottom, yeah, he's yeah. They've got they've got a good they've got team. Great attacking players, yeah. I just think. Once again, defensively, they're just a bit weak. Who's mm. their manager they're now? Not... Um, it wasn't it um... Roberto Martinez. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was. Mm. Probably one. I think Holland's chances <laughs> have taken a hit by losing Coman as well, because like I've been really impressed with Coman at Barca. I think he's great at like rebuilding a squad from the. Like bottom up sort of thing, and I thought oh, yeah. some of the jobs he t- took in the Premier League weren't quite right because mm. he's kind of just passed over loads of money and told, "There you go, do whatever you like." Whereas I think he needs to be at a club like Barca where he's being told, "You can't buy this player because we ain't got no money." <laughs> so he's having to bring through a few youth players and actually try and build a squad. Um, and I think he did that. Netherlands, he rebuilt the squad that missed out on the World Cup. I think they missed out on or the Euros, one of the two. And he went in there and he's, he did fantastically. Okay, and guys, moving on to other sports going on at the moment. Of course, we have the NBA Finals 2020. Game five, I did stay up and watch the other day. I believe yeah, Gary right. tried to, at least. <laughs> you make Gary a first pass? I got halfway. Yeah. halfway. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was riveting from start to finish. I, I had no idea which way it was going to go. And it was a, a right kick in the teeth just to see the, um, Miami kind of make their last shots. And although LeBron did score, you know, 40 points, it just wasn't enough on the night. Anthony Davis looking like he might have rolled his ankle, bringing up a recurring bruise that he got earlier in the pro- in the playoffs. So game six tonight, slightly earlier, and it's it's going to be a really interesting game. Gary, if, if Miami win this one, do you think all the pressure is on the Lakers then? Because we can kind of see which way the narrative will go if they do come back. Well... I said on the podcast during the week that I thought Miami were going to win the next two games and the Lakers finish off in the game seven. Mm-hmm. But I feel now if Miami win tonight, they'll go on to win the whole thing. Um, How many they just got that series? never die attitude. It's seven. best of seven. Oh, okay. I just wonder, yeah, because it, it would go, obviously go through, it would come down to the last game. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, they've just got a never die attitude. They look impressive. And the problem with the Lakers is, apart from uh, James and Davis, the rest of them just aren't stepping up. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just nothing in there Other for them at the maybe moment. maybe Coldwell Pope, he did get a few on the night. Yeah, I think he got 15 points mm-hmm. in game five. Yeah, he made some big threes. there was three Lakers players with double points, mm-hmm. whereas there were six Miami players with double points. And the two top scorers for both teams 
were pretty much neck and neck. Yeah. Um, and then obviously four Miami players basically outscoring the rest of the Lakers. And you, you can't win the playoffs with that kind of st- uh, statistics. You need a whole squad of players contributing. Mm-hmm. And Lakers just haven't had that at all, really. It's, it's almost unheard of. A player scores 40 points and goes on to lose the game. It's, I mean, I know ranting about Danny Green is a bit of a broken record for Lakers fans, but <laughs> the guy shoots threes for a living. Like, he has a wide open three to win the game right at the death of the game, and he, he messes it up. And, you know, that was the chance to win it. And like you say, Gary, that was the chance for someone else other than the main two guys to mm. step up. And I, I don't know injury news on Anthony Davis. I mean, if, if that's going to be a problem tonight, then the Lakers are going to be in, in real trouble here. Well, yeah, because if he's injured, that's kind of it for the Lakers. Like, mm-hmm. they're, they're just going to have to rely on James to do everything. And he, he can't. Like, doesn't matter how good he is. He looked absolutely good. Um, James is actually questionable for tonight. He may miss tonight's game. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. I think he's got, like, a slight, like, niggle or something. Mm. I, feel, I imagine he would play because of how important the game is. Because mm-hmm. he hasn't been ruled out completely. But there's a chance he could miss tonight's game. Now, if you're missing James or Davis, like I said in podcast during the week, you're kind of screwed <laughs> if you're relying on one player. Uh-huh. Like you are. And if, if he misses tonight's game and then potentially misses game seven as well, surely it's Miami's for the win. And it, this really won't look good for not just the Lakers, but LeBron James. That will be maybe the eighth final. Like, has anyone won? ever actually come back from 3-1 down to win a say, like, series? Yeah, people have come back from 3-1, but no one's ever come back from a three nil deficit so it has been it's been done but it, it's just it's such a bad look that comeback mm. obviously great for the heat and props to the heat for what they're doing but i guess, I guess we'll see tonight so by Bill the time this podcast goes out mm-hmm. what is going to be the game's going to be been and done what's your prediction okay. i mean it's hard to say i mean if lebron plays let me say if lebron plays and anthony davis doesn't i think they can still win um if Anthony Davis plays and LeBron doesn't, I don't think they'll win. If neither of them play, I don't think they've got a chance. I think if either player's missing, Miami win. Um, if both play, one or two other players for the Lakers have to step up their game and score a few extra points. Otherwise, I just can't. Miami just looked the better team. Like even when they were losing games. I was more impressed with their play than yeah. the Lakers. They're making so many big threes. Robinson. It's just their tempo as well. They just seem so much faster and more eager to score points than the Lakers who are more happy to run down the clock and then try a shot from any angle possible and then just switch back into defense mode. You know, the amount of times they passed it to Davis and then he's, he's like pretty much in the paint, but he's not like even try, attempting to score. And then he he has to turn and shoot with like one second left. You can't keep doing that. You need to try and just score as many points as you can as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, going off a of Sky Sports report, Anthony Davis is expected to be playing tonight, so you might be in some luck, guys. I don't know much at NBA myself, but you never know. That, that would be great news for the Lakers. Um, Do you think, Si, mm-hmm. that if James and Davis are both carrying slight knocks... They should rest them and just go for game seven. Oh, that's a really good question. I don't think so. I think by the time you get to game seven and they've made that comeback to 3-3, I think there's going to be so much pressure on the Lakers and I don't think they're going to be able to deal with it. And 
I don't think you can even guarantee them being fully fit for Game 7. So I, as much as I don't like seeing a player play through injury, I think you need these guys even at 50% on the pitch just because they really are a level above uh, the other members of the roster. But the game tonight is at 12.30 GMT. Do try and check it out if you can stay awake and so you don't have work early the next morning. Other sports today, Formula One Grand Prix. I believe Hamilton won that one. Yeah, no, equaling Schumacher's record. He did quite well, to be fair. Um, wasn't too too much of an interesting race. You know, there was quite a lot of car mechanical failures with one um, George Russell getting taken out by Kimi Räikkönen in one of the corners. Um, so there was actually no practice session uh, on the Friday due to uh, fog. The, um, the emergency helicopters couldn't take off during the fog, so they actually completely um, red flagged both the sessions. So the drivers only had one practice session on the Saturday to actually get used to the track. Um, quite interestingly, the Racing Point driver, Lance Stroll, was taken ill, um, didn't have a chance to do the qualifying at all, so they called up their backup driver, Hulkenberg, to uh, run the qualifying for them. He actually came in 20th, which was kind of expected. I mean, he, he did, the guy didn't have a chance to do the practice session in the morning, managed to make it there for the qualifying, came in 20th, and actually in the end in the race, I believe he came 7th or 8th, Gary. He did, he did quite well, really, to, um, to get through that race. Yeah, it was a good effort, and obviously... Had he had that practice session I think on the Saturday, better, I yeah. think he would have, yeah, he definitely wouldn't have been last. There'd been no way. Um, but yeah, he finished eighth overall, just behind Charles Leclerc. Personally, I think he should hopefully get a seat next season. He's come in three times now as a substitute driver. Uh, yeah, he's got 10 points as well in the three races. Yeah, he's done quite well each race. So I, I, yeah, I, I hope to see him in and get a seat next season. Maybe a Red Bull, hopefully. You know, Albon hasn't had, again, today, had to retire for a mechanical fault, which I'm a bit sceptical of. I mean, there was no sort of signs that car was struggling and he suddenly gets pulled in. Um, I'd like to see him at a Red Bull maybe next year, but that's just personal preference. Um, Bottas actually started on pole. was doing quite well most of the race, to be fair. Led Hamilton had a few seconds gap on him, but unfortunately was one of the four drivers to retire for a mechanical uh, error. I believe he had engine problems. Um, the same happened for Lando Norris, um, who managed to actually do quite well through most of the race. Um, he caught a yellow flag on about the 50th lap. Um, which actually made the race a little bit more exciting and gave Hamilton his win ultimately with him coming on pole, Verstappen in second and Daniel Ricciardo coming in third, which I'm quite pleased for. I like Daniel. Um, He's tried to get a pole all season. He's he's had a few chances now and he's finally managed to get his uh, his stake there. He's actually, he had a bet with his um, team principal. If he ever gets a podium, he's going to have to get a tattoo and finally he's managed to do that before he moves to McLaren next season. Very excited for that as well. Um, I said it a few podcast ago that I really rate Ricardo and I think had he been in a Mercedes he probably would have won the world championship you know, he's right one now. of the drivers on the track who really likes diving late into the corners and I mean he, he, he can do it um, it'd, be great yeah. to, it'd be great to see him in a faster car I mean I think Renault has started to sort some of their issues out but he's typically it sorts some issues out and he's leaving so he's going to a, a McLaren next year McLaren aren't too shabby though I mean they're quite fast as well. They're always at the top of the grid. Hopefully, you'll be able to do something with them next season, maybe start pushing for some more podiums. But again, the way Formula One's going, Mercedes definitely have a... Uh, you can see they've got such a stronghold on it of their car. It's one of the. It's always the best on the grid. And even with one car retiring, you know, Hamilton's still up there. He never seems to have any issues as much as Bottas does. 100 victories for Lewis, isn't it, now? 191. No, it's 91, I believe, at the moment. Um, um... He's just equaled Schumacher. Um I mean, people say, is he, is he better than Schumacher? I believe he's he's up there. He's, he's a great driver, mm. but there's, 
you know, there's no other cars out there with him that are the same. But there's, there's no doubt, though. I don't want to take anything away from Lewis. He's one of the best drivers probably of all time. Um, you, get, you go on Twitter, you look at the comments saying, oh, typical another Hamilton win. <laughs> he's, just, he's just great. I mean, Bottas is in the same car and Bottas can't do it. Um, mm. Maybe put another driver in there, we would see. But Max Verstappen still pushes him every race. He said he doesn't have a, just a car as good as him. So... Um, he's definitely going to beat Schumacher's record. He's not retiring anytime soon. Um, quite a nice little point to finish on, really, was um, Schumacher's son uh, gifted Hamilton a uh, one of his helmets um, post-race, which was a nice touch, I think. So with Hamilton and Schumacher kind of tied first now in 91, who, out of curiosity, comes second and how far behind are they from um, the top two? So uh, Vettel's 53, the next one along, but Vettel's moving to um, the new Aston Martin team next year. I just... It depends how much, how many more years Vettel's going to race for. He's he's quite a big gap in it. I mean, Vettel was he was great at Red Bull originally. Um, he's got quite a few race wins in there, but again at the Ferrari, he's just been struggling for most of the season. I think it's a good move for him going to the. It's going to be racing point turn into Aston Martin. Um, it's a good car. Hopefully they'll be able to carry on and progress. But I don't see I don't see him um, beating Schumacher's record anytime soon, and it just goes to show how good Lewis is. And another point just to finish up on with the Formula One is that Kimi Raikkonen today. Uh, 323 races, you know, one of the oldest drivers on the track. I mean, he's been a great driver throughout his time. Um, he's obviously never at the top of the grid anymore with Alfa Romeo, but it's just good to see him still racing, you know. I've had to warm to him a little bit. He's got quite a cool character, but, um, you know, he, he's one of the best drivers. He said he's had a good career. I don't know how many more years he's going to keep going for. There's rumours he might sign with Alfa Romeo for one more season, um, but there's no doubt that he's had a great career and it'd be a shame to see him go. Yeah, there's rumours the other day that he'd already signed a new contract. Yeah. Like. Pretty sure he denied. Yeah, that, I was looking at uh, it during his press conference. Yeah. He said he hasn't, but the guy's so cool. He barely says any words in his press conferences anyway. I don't mean he likes doing interviews. So, no. do you think he sh- uh, he should carry on? Because obviously, he's at he's in now at yeah. a team that's not very competitive. I think he's had a great career already. Mm. Surely, just give it up and give a younger driver a chance. He did say um, that he he finds it more of a hobby now, and he, I think he likes racing. I don't think he cares. He doesn't win. I just think he likes being on the track. But a combination I would like to see next season, you know, is maybe Giovinazzi either becoming a backup driver or moving to another team and then um, Hamilton's Mick son, Schumacher. Mick Schumacher, sorry, his first name escaped me, Mick Schumacher being his partner for the season, um, giving us some experience, giving us some guidance. Um, Obviously, Mick Schumacher and Illot missed their practice session this week for cancellation. I think it's unfortunate. There's no doubt. There's a chance they might yeah. get another practice session, but do you think that's ruined their chances? No, I, I, seen I, I can't think their, their chances are going to be stopped. It's, it's unfortunate. Um, but I think you can see them enough doing races in Formula 2 to know their quality. I think either of them deserves a seat next season, get some fresh fresh drivers into Formula 1 for next year. And there's, there's some drivers on the grid now, I'll talk about it more in the future, that just I think they've had their chances, and maybe it's now a time to give some younger chance, um, younger racers a chance to show what they can really do. Okay, guys, we're now going to look at the NFL. So we're currently on game week five. Now, the real big story about is you know, whether the season is going to is going to continue, whether they're going to cancel it with all the cases coming up. But I mean, just looking at the scores happening today, I can see the Raiders beat the Chiefs 40 to 24, which is big news. The Chiefs were four to, to zero before that. So Derek Carr doing good things over for the Raiders at the moment. Um, we're currently, the Chiefs still remain top of the AFC West. Tom Brady's Bucks are currently top of the NFC South. So he's, they're starting to find some form over there. Do you know what the um what they'll do if the season has to be uh, voided or postponed? The coronavirus. You know what they're going to they plan on doing. Is it going to be void the season, or they're going to just finish it on what they predict? 
I'm not sure actually, to be honest. I think I think it'll be more likely that they void it um, because it's really hard to pick a winner when you have so many different conferences. I'm pretty sure um, it's only just started, isn't it? The NFL. Yeah, it's only into game week five. I mean, it doesn't last as long as a football season. I mean, the regular season is you know 17 weeks. Mm. So I mean, it's I really don't know what they're going to do. And it's going to be interesting if they do go ahead, you know, how the Super Bowl is going to be, you know, if oh, there's yeah. going to be any fans there at all. It's going to, Jeez. yeah, it's going to be crazy for sure. If it does go ahead. That's the headline event of the year as well. Lots exactly. of money and lots of viewers. Lots of money. Definitely yep. loads of sponsors. And do we think the season will finish? Because mm. obviously at the moment, it seems every week, game week, there's a postponement, at least one. Personally, I don't think so. No. I think the NFL is too big of a market. I mean, it's like one of the biggest markets in, you know, sport, sporting-wise in, in America and all over the world, actually. And I think it's, I think they're going to do what it takes to just continue the season. I mean, they've allowed limited capacity in some stadiums, but I think that has changed. Mm. But I personally think they're going to they're going to try and go ahead with the season. Yeah, it's too much money and, um, and sponsorship deals at stake. So exactly. they're not going to want to get rid of, uh, just basically none avoid the season. Yeah. I don't think the way America doesn't really, they do care about the coronavirus, but I just don't think it stopped much over there. I think they just, they, they never really went into a lockdown. They're just going to keep going straight through it. Yeah. And I think my favourites for, for the NFL, if it does go ahead, would be the Chiefs. So other than today's upset, I think they still look to be one of the best teams in the division. And um yeah, I think they could go on to win a second Super Bowl in a row. Looking at the golf now, so world number 43, Tyrell Hatton, won the BMW PGA Championship today. Would that be considered an upset, guys? And who would who was the favourite for this tournament? Well, there wasn't many big-name players at the tournament, to be fair. So I wouldn't call it an upset because that'd be quite disrespectful to Tyrell Hatton. You know, being world number 43 is pretty impressive in golf. Um, so it definitely wasn't an upset, but he wasn't the favourite pre-tournament. Um, he was actually a little bit of an outsider, but that was his um, fifth title of his career. So he hasn't obviously won many tournaments in his career, but obviously we've got the Masters, 12th of November starts. So maybe he's hitting form just in time. And I don't know how old Tyrell Hassan is. I think he's in his late 20s. So maybe this is where we finally see him come good because obviously in golf, you don't have many very young, big name players. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not, not, not normally until they're in their like thirties that they've come like world-class. Um, but obviously I think we'll have a closer look. So we think we'll win the masters next month at a later date. And looking at the darts. So world number one, Van Gerwen knocked out by Simon Whitlock. I was going to say this is big news, but Gary doesn't believe that to be the case. <laughs> no, since lockdown ended, Van Gerwen has not looked the Van Gerwen pre-lockdown. You know, he, he has looked beatable in every single game he's played. Obviously, he's still a phenomenal darts player. What There's do, no doubt about that. What do you think that's down to? Do you think it's just down to rustiness? I don't know, because obviously during lockdown, they started this darts at home tour yeah, thing yeah. Uh, over webcam, and he didn't take part in it. Um, and I'm not sure why, but I think it was something to do with not having a board okay. kind of set up in his house. Ooh. So maybe it's just a bit of rustiness of not being able to play for a few months or not wanting to play. Because if we got to remember, Van Gogh as a youngster, he didn't really care. He was this arrogant young Dutch player that just thought he could go out on the stage and 
beat everyone. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that wasn't the case. He had to train. So I think maybe he just hasn't trained as much as he should have been. Mm. And um, obviously, he lost to Simon Whitlock, who's then gone on to lose to the world number 73. Can't pronounce his name. Uh, Juven Bode. Um, so he's now in the final, and he'll play the winner of Sh- uh, Chisnell or Price, uh, which is currently tied at three all going into a final set decider. Uh, best thing about the World Grand Prix is, if you don't already know, is the first start has to be a doubles. Okay. You don't just you, so you can't get a one eighty on your first go. You have to start with a doubles, and then you start to score them. That's an interesting. So you concept. start and then in the doubles. It's a very good format. Very enjoyable mm. to watch. Okay, and last but not least, the tennis, the French Open final. Oh, oh. For the men's, at least, was today. I believe the women's final was yesterday. Swiatek winning the Grand Slam, and today Nadal beating Djokovic three 0 I believe he beat him in the end. What a a performance! Such an uh, an imperious uh, display from Rafa. I think going into this French Open, uh, I know Gary, you had some doubts about his form, and during that tournament, he you mentioned he wasn't sort of looking that good. Yeah, so obviously uh, in Rome he lost to Schwartzman. Yeah, yeah. um, and Schwartzman was obviously in his half of the draw again, so they met in the semis. Um, but after the first, second or second or third round, Nadal looked like Nadal. Um, mm. First round, he didn't look as good. Like he got the result, but he was complaining about the weather. It was too cold for him. Mm. But I think as it warmed up, which we I think we saw, there was a bit of rain, but he he looked like Nadal of old. Yeah, you know some of the shots he was playing in today's final, like even Djokovic looked lost. You know, yeah. if you, if you're making Djokovic look look like an amateur, you're doing something right. Am I right? That puts him level with Roger Federer for Grand Slam wins. It does. Does indeed. Thirteenth French French Open, the twentieth overall. Wow. Um, Incredible numbers. Yeah. How would you compare kind of Nadal and Djokovic's play style? Why do you think he does so well on the on the clay courts? I think it's all down to the spin he gets on the ball. Djokovic is a bit more, I'm going to hit through the ball. Whereas mm. Nadal's more about, I'm going to hit it hard, but I'm going to get enough spin on it that it just goes away from you every single time. Like some of the shots he was playing today, it looks like he's going to go across court mm-hmm. and he just literally bends it around straight down the line. There's just no teaching it, really. Um we're never going to see a player like him on clay ever again. Would you say his play style is defensive? Because he just seems to tire guys out. He's got so much energy. I wouldn't say defensive. He's adapted he definitely... a bit, hasn't he, in the last few years? Yeah, like in the last few rounds, he definitely goes on the attack a bit more than his oppositions. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at TM, for example, who's obviously a very good clay court player mm. and just won the US Open. But um, he's very much, oh, I'm going to stay behind the baseline. And just keep returning the ball. A bit like Andy Murray yeah, yeah. used to do in his prime. Um, whereas now, he, he kind of... I think he needs to finish the points early. Because obviously, he still has that dodgy knee. Mm. That hopefully doesn't cause him to lose much more time of his career. So I think now he's trying to get it done in five or six points. Mm-hmm. Instead of going, I'll stay in back and wait for your mistake. Yeah, uh, Djokovic was also trying to take the game to him today. Mm. By just hitting it as hard as he could in the hope that he caused a mistake by Nadal, but Nadal was just simply faultless today. It was 6 0, 6 2, 7 5. Well, do you think Djokovic, was there any point where you thought he might start to come back into the game? Uh, In the third set. Yeah, I was mm. just about to say that as well. 
he um, it looked like he was sort of starting to get a bit of a stranglehold in in that set. But Nadal being Nadal strong enough to hold him off, and then yeah, closed out closed out the the result, and yeah, got got the the title in the end. But fantastic. Yeah, because Djokovic was a breakdown at four three mm. in the third, and then he got the break back, and he he started looking like Nadal was kind of tiring. And then obviously Nadal just found a bit of extra energy and took another break and the set and obviously the tournament. And for the women's French Open final, Iga Swiatek beating world number six, Sophia Kennan. Would you say this was an upset? It certainly seemed to be an underdog story here for Iga. Well, last weekend when we were discussing who we thought we were going to win. You did say. Yeah. I, didn't name, I didn't name either of these players yeah. to even be in the final. So for me, it was an upset. Um <laughs> The young Polish girl, like 19 years old. Next big thing. First final, first win. You know, she beat Halep on the way to winning the final. And Halep's like the kind of the queen of the clay, if you like. Mm. Um, the female equivalent. Obviously, the women seem to lose a lot more than the men. And they find it harder to kind of dominate the game, apart from obviously Serena and Venus and Sharapova, I guess. But the girl, she looked good. She did. Um whether we see her win any more titles is another story because we've seen too many. <laughs> we no, we've honestly we've seen too many women win the French Open mm. and then kind of just decline. Obviously, normally they have Wimbledon straight after to back it up, and then they kind of disappear. Uh, Bouchard, uh, Muguruza, she's kind of coming back now, but she's 19 years old. I'm sure she'll have a good career, but I'm not sure we'll see her win another grand slam. I don't, I, I don't think anyone's really going to be Serena levels in terms of how many slams they win. I think we need, we obviously need to appreciate just how much of a the woman's goat that Serena Williams is. If anything, there's an argument that she, she might just be the goat in tennis overall, really, if you look at her record. A lot of sports, though, you get an athlete just like once in a generation or once in like every so many years. They're just absolutely like out of this world and... Mm. No one really matches that for a long time. They, they will come around again. It just takes you to know that's once in a long, long time. Look at football, yeah. like Ronaldo and Messi. When are we going to see another one of their ilk? There's players out there. We, we always compare them to them, but mm. then will they, they, will they ever reach the level that Ronaldo or Messi ever reached? Yeah. As... I really hope Serena as well wins a Grand Slam before Same. she retires like, because she's one short of the record. And it, I think the way she's dominated tennis, because it's been like 20 years. Mm. You know, in as old as us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She was basically starting out in tennis on the pro tour as we were, like, still in nappies pretty much. So she deserves the record because she's <laughs> she's dominated that whole time. Yeah, and she's never like had she. It's gonna sound bad, but had she not had her kid, yeah, I think she would smash the record. Ooh, controversial take of the mm. of the show, <laughs> Gary Painter. Well, no, she just missed a year's worth of action. Well, over a year's yeah. worth of action. I think. You, could, you could say anything. It could be she missed a mm. year for injury, or missed a, some people can miss a year through. Oh, she'd be quite good with injuries. It was just yeah. the kids. You oh, know, no, I know what you mean. Like, no, she lost a year. She was in a very good place as well when she, she obviously fell pregnant. Yeah. So. Mm. I'm sure she has no regrets though, about having a kid. Oh, yeah. yeah. She, yeah. she was loving it. So. But she definitely deserves the record. Yeah. I'm sure she's still got plenty of time left in the tank to get it. I'm not sure about that. She she, she just looked very tired. No, That's what I'm going to say. The game she's played. <laughs> and that does it for our sports roundup for today. So what we've learned 
Gary Painter wore nappies at five years old. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all we've learned today. We're now going to go into the next segment, Sporting Highlight of the Week. Sporting Highlight of the Week. And Gary, please do us the honours and kick us off. Well, we've already talked about it. Nadal winning the French Open, uh, going level on 20 title, uh, Grand Slam titles with Federer. He's the goat of clay. Uh, yeah, the goat on clay. And I was just, like I said, I, I was a bit surprised he did win it after the start and going into the tournament. He'd only played one tournament that he lost um, to a massive outsider. Um, so to go on and win it for the 13th time is just incredible. And keeping on the theme of tennis, my sporting highlight was, as we mentioned, Iga Swiatek beating Sofia Kenin. She was unseeded going into the tournament and, you know, she lost the first round in Rome. So, yeah, I think that was, it was really great to see who doesn't love a good underdog story. And Nabil, your sporting highlight? So, in the tradition of keeping things a bit more diverse, I'm not going to go with Nadal because... Gary's obviously gone with it. I'm actually going to go with Simon Whitlock thrashing Michael Van Gerwen in the World Grand Prix in the darts uh, by three legs to zero. Uh, more, less about yesterday's result, but more about his recent sort of history with Van Gerwen. He's basically beat Van Gerwen 11 legs to four in the world match play previously when they met. So if you do the numbers, Whitlock's obviously won nine out of the 11 legs. And I just think it's a, I know as, as much as Gary mentioned that uh, post-lockdown, Van Gerwen hasn't been at his best, but he is still the world number one. He is still the man to beat just based on reputation. So yeah, fantastic achievement from Simon Whitlock, but unfortunately yeah, he couldn't carry that form in and got beat. Adam, your sporting highlight? Um I go for F1 most weeks, but this, this this one's quite a good one. I mean, Hulkenberg got called off at the 11th hour quite literally on the Saturday. Um, he was in a coffee shop in Cologne, just a few miles from the uh, from the uh, from the Nurbo ring. Got a call up saying Stroll was there. We, they need, he needs to come in and um, race a racing point. Um, didn't get any time to practice. Um, the only practice he got was in qualifying. He came 20th, um, which was kind of expected. He put some good times in, but I think he needed a little bit more time to get used to the track and warm up a little bit to the car again. Um, but on the race day, 20th on the grid, all the way he finished up in 7th. I mean, what a drive from him. Um, he had a good car, good race, and it would be great to see him getting a seat next season in F1. Just um, shows he's got the ability. Someone needs to give him a bit of a chance again. And he, before he before he lost his seat, he wasn't doing too great. But I mean, maybe a bit of time out of the game has helped him a bit. And hopefully, if he comes back to F1, he can show what people what he can do. Okay, and we're now going to go into the last segment of the show. I'm going to hand over to Gary Painter, the Quizmaster, for Quiz Smalling. Quiz Smalling, it's the name of the game. Quiz Smalling, it'll really test the brain. Quiz Smalling. Right, gentlemen, so this week it's Nabil versus Simon. Okay. Who is our current just, reigning champion? I still feel like I was robbed last week. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, no one cares, mate. Moving on. <laughs> it's all losers. You'll be back next week, Adam. So I'm going to start off with an easy question for both of you that you should both know, mm-hmm. and then they'll get slightly harder. So we're going to start with you this week, Debil. Okay. Um, who is the current top wicket taker in the IPL this season? So that will be Cajiso Rabada. That's correct. He sits clear of Boomer and Trent Bolt. He did say it was Simon. easy questions, Adam. 
Yeah, someone's been paying him off. Yeah, Adam, calm down, mate. Calm down. Hit me, Gary. Simon, who is leading in rebounds during the current playoff final after game five? Oh, uh, oh, no pressure. I'm going to say... So the whole finals, yeah? Just the actual finals. Just, Lakers oh, versus Miami. The finals. I'm going to say... Oh, I'm going to say Anthony Davis. That is incorrect. It was LeBron it was James LeBron. with 57 Come rebounds. On. Okay, okay. Nil. First blood. <laughs> so, Nabil, who has now started the most F1 races in F1 history after starting the Eiffel GP today? Uh, well, uh, going off my limited knowledge, I'm just going to throw the first name that comes to mind and gonna go with lewis hamilton but i expect it to be wrong it is incorrect we did we did actually mention this earlier it's it was kimmy Raikkonen with his 323rd oh, race yeah. start it's good to see the bill pays attention when we talk so simon you got a chance Finally to get a non-cricket question for the bill by the way <laughs> <laughs> i told you i was starting off easy i was giving you both a point and you couldn't take it so so stop complaining <laughs> Right, so Simon, how many matches has Nadal lost in his career oh in God. the men's French Open? So easy. That's so easy. I literally hear that stat all the time. No, it's um, not. It's, gonna, it's really It's going to be very low. It's going to be very low. So low. But I'm going to say two. That oh, my great. God. Oh, come Is on. It? All right. He now has 100 wins and two defeats at the what French Open. That's such incredible a record. Stat. One, one, so, Nabil, mm. your final question. Okay. Tyrell Hamilton uh, Hatton won the BMW PGA Championship this weekend. But who this week is the current men's number one golfer in the golf rankings? Who's the current number one in the golf rankings? Yep. Oh my god. Uh, is to say Tiger Woods? Is it Tiger Woods? Nah, it's not Tiger Woods. Um, I haven't. Tiger's been... outside the top fifty now. I yeah. Uh, well, I haven't been following a lot of golf recently. I'm just gonna go with I don't know Jordan Spieth. Incorrect. It's currently Dustin Johnson. Oh, a triple bogey for Nabil. Oh, oh. damn. Sorry. Time, time to win. For the win. <laughs> to win. This is another F1 question. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, Hamilton equaled Schumacher's record for most wins in F1 this weekend. But in what team did Schumacher last race for competitively oh. in F1? Um, I'm going to say Ferrari. It's not. Adam, do you know this one? Mercedes. It was in 2012. He Oof. drove alongside Nico Rosberg. We have a tie. Mercedes. We have a super over. So, now I've only got one tie-break question. Okay. How are you going to do it? Fastest person or? So I'm going to need a buzzer. Okay. So, what? both give me a buzzer noise. Bing! Can we make it a okay. little bit different? We can tell who's... Yeah. <laughs> okay. Can I Can I go, Hazard? Yeah, let's do that. That's fine. I'm going to go... Simon, what? Your beauty! Okay. Okay, you're going for a longer one, which slightly is the advantage, but uh, <laughs> fair enough. So let me finish the whole question first. Okay. And then you can buzz it. Okay. So we're going to finish with an F1 question. Yes. Mm-hmm. Who set a new fastest track time this weekend in F1? A track record at the Nürburgring. Yeah, beauty. I don't know. Simon? Seb Vettel. What? That's incorrect, right? <laughs> Surely. Well, it's two different names there. Like, there's not a person. Sebastian Vettel. Sebastian Vettel. He was using a short name. Oh, okay. It's incorrect. Uh, can I, can I, how's that? And just have a guess? You can. Um, can I go with 
uh, Verstappen. Oh, That's you've also Googled incorrect. Oh, you haven't. No, no, what? He's right. That's incorrect. It isn't incorrect, Adam. Is that actually? Me. Yes. Where is it then? How are we going to settle this, guys? Simon, you go again. Okay. okay. What's the next question? We're going to take turns. No, it's sudden death. Oh, sudden, sudden death, death on this going. question. Yeah, you got it wrong. That's no, it's not Adam. Honestly, are you sure? Honestly, just wait. Can you repeat yeah, just the question. Wait. Just wait, Adam. You're joking. Okay. No. Simon. Have another guess. Lewis Hamilton. Incorrect. Nabil. Um, Bottas. Correct. Yeah! Bottas at the fastest track for time Come on! One minute twenty-five. You cannot point be serious. Qualifying. Sergeant is three seconds faster than what you were thinking, Adam. Bottas happened in the race. Yes. yes. He He's wins again. Adam. He's on a two-nil so streak. So Nabil retains his Can crown. Can I just ask, while we're getting loads of Formula One questions in the week, I don't actually do the quiz. But the week we do do the quiz, I get like cricket. Because well, Gary's he's planned this. <laughs> yeah, Gary's also <laughs> planned this. Yeah, I gave them both one easy question, Max. so they at least get a point. Max yeah, fixing going on here. <laughs> and then I asked them questions they shouldn't know. <laughs> they were pretty tough questions. Which they didn't this yeah. week. So yeah. Well, the only one they did get that I didn't expect them to get was Simon just guessing two. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nabil, congratulations. Thanks, you, you, man. You deserved it. And I think Thanks. that just about wraps up the show today. Hope you enjoyed yourselves, guys. Yeah, it's yeah. been an absolute pleasure. As always. Please Thanks do check Badger us out. On. Yeah, thank you, Cricket Badger. It was an absolute pleasure. Very to insightful. And certainly. And thank you to all of you listeners. Please do check us out on social media at 4OnGoal, at F-O-U-R on Goal. And a quick shout out to our channel partner, Mike Andrews or Mandrews95. If you like gaming, Call of Duty, FIFA, even NBA, please head over to his Facebook page for some top class streaming content. And on that note, it's a good night from all of us here at Foreign Goal. See you later, guys. See you later, everyone. Bye-bye.